it's the second evening service. There's no thing, a series of such that we're, that we're going through. So Carl sends me to uh, uh, preach on something which I'm uh, passionate about. So today I wanted to have a look at something which God has been uh, teaching me a huge amount about over the last couple of years. And I think Paul's going to load up something, hopefully. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, which is the idea about trusting in God and sort of what it means because there's some verses there just on the front, just a handful of verses talking about trusting God, some of my favourite verses from the Bible. But and it's a thing that's found throughout the whole Bible, this trusting in God. But what does it what does it really mean? I mean, I think obviously there's like trusting that God exists and trusting in the gospel messages and the events of the gospel that Jesus died and Jesus rose again and all that that entails. I think as well we often sort of think of trusting God in terms of, sort of situational trust, so trusting in in God's power to help in a certain situation and God's guidance to help us in again certain situations um, in his decision making. But I think actually when we read scripture, this idea about trusting in God is a lot more than just situational trust. It's more of an all-encompassing trust that will sort of affect and change our whole lives um, and every aspect of our lives. And I think the heart of that is sort of this godly perspective of life that is revealed in the Bible. We've got the set slide. Thank you. So... Just on screen here, there's some declarations from the Bible, sort of looking at sort of godly perspective on us, on life, on the world. There's some, they're paraphrased, uh, but there's some verses there in case you think, if you want to look them up. But these are all things I think we're quite familiar with. There's, I don't think any of you reckon that I've made any of these things up. We all, we all know them. I think actually with over-familiarity with stuff like this, we can, they can kind of lose their power. Um, but if we actually look at some of these things, like these, these perspectives are just completely life-altering, completely world-altering. Like the idea that the creator of the entire universe thinks of us, thinks of us as children, and that he created us with a purpose and a plan for our life. The idea that there's absolutely nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. All these incredible things up here, and yet these things are so amazing. But at least in my life, what God's sort of shown to me is that so often I can just live my life as if these things weren't ever said. Like I can, God can say that I'm worth something, but I can feel like actually, am I worth something? Has God really got a plan for me? And can feel all sorts of, can be envious of people and what they, what they maybe have. And I think the reason for that is the same reason why these things are so amazing to read, and that's just how different they are to what the world's perspective of things is, if you put the next one, please, Paul. So again, just some quick things here, where we have God's view of things and the world's view. So God says that we're chosen, and he has a plan for our life. The world would more say that life is random and utterly meaningless, that this is all there is. God's view is that our wrongdoings are forgiven, whereas you only have to look on um, the news recently about people whose comments from years and years ago have been pulled up and they're losing their jobs over it. There's no, there's no forgiveness in that, in, that, um, in that sense. The idea that God's thing about 
about how we should stop treasures in heaven and that they're the most important thing. Whereas what the world would say is that the earthly things bring us happiness, which is why it can be quite difficult. We had Grace talking a couple of weeks ago about our earthly friends and laying them down. It can be quite challenging to do that because of what the world says about those earthly friends. And then finally, the stuff at the bottom here about our worth. God says that we're worth so much, that we're his children, that we were loved before the foundation, foundation of the earth, and that we were worth dying for. And the world is saying that our worth can be measured more by what we have than by what we've done, by what other people think of us. And I think there's this constant battle as believers that we're always facing between sort of the world's perspective of life and the world and God's perspective of life and the world. And all too often, I find that I will consciously or subconsciously trust the world's view of things as opposed to God's. And this isn't anything new, if we didn't get that. I don't think this is anything new. So I've been looking quite a lot at the Old Testament over the last couple of years, and one of the things I've been looking at is some guy called John H. Walton wrote a book about all the people around Israel and what, they, what those cultures were like. And it's really amazing to see how different what God was offering was to what was around Israel. So just as a quick example, so the cultures around Israel, they're all quite all polytheistic, they all believed in lots and lots of different gods. They believed that you could worship as many different gods as you want, but you just had to keep them all happy. But those gods were quite irrational, and you didn't really know what was going to go, that you could trust them. So you had to uh, keep them, yeah, you had to keep them happy. Um, yeah, so all these different gods, they had to keep them happy, and God was saying, actually, no, I'm the only person who you need to trust. I'm the only God that there is. These gods, you don't need to keep them happy because nothing will go wrong if you stop worshipping them. And the people, actually, what they did is recorded in Judges and Kings. They decided to actually just worship the other gods, I think, to maybe play a bit safe, to make sure that they were keeping them happy because they didn't want to risk the wrath of these other gods. They wanted to... They didn't want to risk the fact that maybe God was wrong. These other foreign gods, they just couldn't trust them at all. God was saying, I'm a God who you can fully trust. And it all culminates in 1 Samuel 8, where as they cry out for a king to lead them, what they're really saying to Samuel and to God is, we no longer trust you to lead us, and we want something else to lead us. We want a king, we want, us, we want to lead ourselves. And I think, yeah, like I said, we can all have this tendency to trust the world's view of things, as opposed to what God says, and the amazing things that God says about the world. So, we kind of have two options, really. I think we can either move away from the world, or move closer to God. Now, moving away from the world, like maybe that is sensible in certain situations, but we can't completely withdraw from the world. We still, still have the place we inhabit. And so, therefore, I think it all becomes about moving closer to God, so that we can better trust his perspective on things. Now, trust in our society, I think, is something that's really highly valued. So, in relationships, to be accused of not trusting someone is quite a hurtful thing to hear. But actually, when we think about it, trust isn't something that's just some on and off switch that we can choose that we can choose to either trust someone or not someone. Trust is Trust is earned, and trust, trust develops over time as we get to know the person and know whether they are, sort of, whether we can trust them or whether we can't trust them. 
like we all have, we've all done the chest trust exercise, or at least have all seen it, where we have to sort of fall back into someone's arms and trust them to catch it as we fall. I think usually in that setup, we have someone who's meant to be behind us who is perfectly capable of catching us, but we can find it quite difficult to fall back. I think, imagine if you were up here having to do that and there was a stranger behind you, and Worse than that, that all the people in the crowd have spoken to you before the service and have said that that person has said they're just going to let you fall because it would be funny to watch you fall. I think the fact that you don't know the person, the fact that everyone who you possibly do know more is saying this is going to happen, I think you find it incredibly difficult to fall back as I wouldn't, I know that. But if we take another example, I'll pick on them because they're the only people whose parents I know. So if Bish or Amy are up here, um, and it was Phil, their dad standing behind, then I bet even if every single one of us here said to me that, oh, by the way, your dad said that he was going to let you fall when you, um, when you fell back into, fall back into his arms, I bet despite the fact that all of us are saying that, they'd still have the trust to fall back because they'd be like, actually, no. You may think you that's what he said, but I know my dad, and I know that he won't be he won't do that. I know that he will catch me and that he'll um, that he'll come through to me. The more we get to know someone, the more our trust in them can grow. And the great thing about God is the more we get to know God, the more our trust in him will grow, because he's actually really worthy of our trust. And it's just such an important thing. I think we just have to look at the example of Jesus to see that. So, I was at a conference a few years back called Revive, and there were these people performing, having God perform amazing works through their ministry. And they were at the front one night, and it was getting quite late, and they said, don't worry how late it is, everyone, keep coming forward, because we won't leave this stage until every single person's praying for, because that's what Jesus should have done. And that was something which sort of like really struck me, and it was incredible. And they stayed late into the night praying for all sorts of people. But a bit of time after that, I was reading the Gospels, and what jumped out to me was that actually Jesus had something which he put even as a higher priority than that. He just in Luke five, Mark six, Matthew fourteen, even more passages. There's accounts of Jesus just leaving the crowds completely, and the reason he does that is to spend time with God. Because he knows that without spending time with God, without that relationship being right, then he couldn't do any of the other stuff that he was doing on earth at the time. And when we kind of think that Jesus, the Son of God himself, is putting that as the top priority in his life, it's quite a challenge to someone like myself who can think that actually maybe all I need to do is turn up to church for an hour and a half once a week, and that'll be all I need to get through in life. But if Jesus himself is going to God, then how can I think that's enough, basically? And just briefly, I think there's just three very simple things we can do. It's, there's none of these things are complicated, but they're things that we can be deliberate about. So the first thing is being in Christian communities, so being in churches, being in home groups, being around people who will who will reinforce the godly perspective of things, who can support us, who can help us in times. And more than that, that we can witness God's trustworthiness through how he's helping their lives. But I absolutely love that when we have times of testimony at church, um, I kind of think we should possibly do it every single week, because it's just amazing how to hear what God's done. It's such an encouragement to hear what God's done in other people's lives. 
Second thing is obviously the word of God. It's been given to us as a revelation of God and who he is and who his character is. And so if we just sort of read, if we are proactive in reading that, then his, his character and his nature shines through. Just reading, just, you just have to pick up the gospel and just read a single chapter and you see just how different Jesus is to the world. Just, it just jumps out, jumps off the pages. And then the final way, I think, is just a form of personal encounter. Like, where every single person is different, I find that I really encounter and God really speaks to me through worship and through um, just sort of short periods of prayer. Other people can wait in God's presence for hours and hours at a time. I don't think there's any wrong, right or wrong way to do it, but I do think it's something that we should be deliberate about pursuing and deliberate about doing. And we can use, obviously, the next block of worship, I think, to really meet with God. And he can surprise us when he encounters us. I remember being, again, at Revive a couple of years back, and it was a different time. But yeah, it was the same time, actually. Um, and like, I went forward for prayer wanting answers for some situations in my life and wanting, wanting God to speak the very specific things for me. And actually, when I went forward, all God said to me for about 10 minutes on that particular night was just, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved, and just over and over again. And that was actually, well, that wasn't what I was expecting, it was actually what I need, but what I needed to hear is in that, in that moment. I mean, the verse that we had up at the beginning, Jesus calls the rest that we can, that there is by following God. I think the problem with that is that we can sort of think that this rest will magically appear, but the very things that cause us restlessness are going to are likely to still be there tomorrow, and potentially the day after and the day after. The same sort of low-paid job, the same lack of success, the same lack of possessions, the same feelings of feeling, the same things that potentially lead us to feeling um, feeling worthless. And I think until we can recognise that the world is actually wrong about its, what it says, about the worldly perspective is wrong, about its priorities, its purposes, its declarations, then we're going to stay in that place of restlessness. But when we reach a place through sort of a growing relationship with Jesus where we can actually begin to fully trust in this godly perspective of things and this godly view of the world and life, then that's when things begin, the world sort of begins to change a bit. Like that same low-paid job that may not look very good is actually sort of exactly where God wants us to be. And the same lack of things that we would like to have, that other people have, is sort of seen as worthless in comparison to what God has in store for us. And that's those same feelings which lead to a feeling of worthlessness become just overwhelmed by the stuff preached by the stuff from um, in the Bible about just how much we're worth and how much we're loved. So like the world can the world may not change, but our world becomes completely transformed by that new perspective of this. So it's just quickly great. Lord I thank you that you are a God who we can fully trust and <coughs> I pray as we go out from here um, this evening, whatever it is that we're, that we're dealing with, that you would encounter with us 
that we've encountered tonight and that we'd make a real um, decision to have to try and grow in our relationship with you, to have a deeper trust in you and in your perspective of things, as opposed to the world's perspective.